This is channel 253. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today's episode, we'll talk about what is white privilege and why do we need to talk about it. Today's episode is sponsored by Fall, the season. Tired of the sunshine and iced coffee? Well, fall is just around the corner. Don your boots and Old Navy blarf, blanket scarf, and head outside to find some leaves because it's fall selfie time. Get your balayage butt on Pinterest ASAP and post on Instagram, hashtag Pacific Northwest is best, hashtag fall, hashtag autumn, hashtag selfie esteem. Hope? Yes. Why is working for equity like little kids cutting up a pan of brownies? I don't know, but I love brownies. Because white people are cutting the bigger half for themselves. Ooh. Brownies are delicious. They are. So today we're talking about privilege and specifically white privilege, or I should I say white privilege. White privilege. Uh, what the heck is privilege, Andy? Um, it's like when you have a pan of brownies and you get more brownies for yourself. <laughs> you said this joke earlier. But, no, um, a privilege to me, I think about it as like an advantage or a right based on the status of the group you belong to. So... Okay. Um, you can be disadvantaged also based on your group status, but think about the things you have access to because of your group status um, and how that might be positive for you or good for you. So as a white lady, I can go into a Walgreens or a Safeway yes. or a Fred Meyer yes. or a Sally's yes. or a Bartels that no one yep. goes to, and I can roll hey, into I the like makeup aisle. <laughs> Not a sponsor, Annie. You don't have to say that. Uh, no, I actually uh, like Bartels. I can go to the aisle, and I can find makeup that matches my skin tone yes. really easily. Really easily. And I don't have to try it out. Right. Even though I sometimes wish I did or, yeah. or would, I pretty much can guess yeah. that it's going to match Well, me. and shout out to companies that actually make makeup that is for a whole range of skin tones, and you can actually, like, find something mm -hmm. um, in any, no matter what your skin tone is. But most skin tones are, like, peach, white peach. <laughs> beige one. Beige two. Ivory two. Beige six. Ivory 304. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so that gives me, I have privilege because I don't have to think about going outside yes. of those mainstream stores. Yeah. I don't have to think about reaching out to Sephora and looking right. for something that's specially made for me. Exactly. It's because if you buy it from Walgreens and you have dark skin, uh, it won't look chalky on you or mm. weird because it's really just foundation made for white skin that just happens to be kind of tinted darker. That's not... That's, that's not made for you. It's not made for you. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's, I mean, that seems like a pretty simple, straightforward kind of privilege. But also, I mean, that I seems would, like a yeah. really, I mean. What? It's superficial. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other stuff. I mean, like if you think about the fact that like I can be articulate and professional without people being super surprised about it. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? So if, if you've ever heard someone say, oh, they're really articulate for a black person. Hmm. No one would ever say, wow, she's really articulate for a young white lady. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen, right? Because um, the assumption is that you are already going to be articulate as yeah. a white woman yeah. or a young white woman. Or that or you woman. might be unprofessional if you're not white. 
that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder, too, if I think about even that word articulate is coded language, I would argue, um, in for the sense educated, that it's... For educated, yeah. yeah, for having class, right? And it's funny because people want to use that word, but I think it's shifting its meaning and, mm -hmm. and it really is leaving out that other part. Like you said, yeah. I think a lot of people might leave out the, like, for a white lady, right? They'll yeah. leave that out yeah. or, like, for a black person. But that's the implied. It's almost yeah. like a parentheses in a sentence, yeah. right? But then parentheses gets dropped off. Yeah. Which is pretty passive-aggressive. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right up our alley. Yeah, totally right up our alley. Or almost like invisible ink that's, it's there, and if you have, like, the code yeah. done, lock that invisible ink, then you know. Exactly. You can see it. The candle to burn underneath yeah. it, and the, the words yeah. come up. So what other examples can you think of, like, everyday privilege? Um, I'm never going to be suspected of being terrorist. That's, yeah, well, you don't, you know, yeah. look, quote-unquote. Yeah, I also don't fit the profile even of, like, a white nationalist terrorist. Talk like I don't. That. So like um, we were a lot of folks have been t we're going to talk about Charlottesville pretty soon. But the fact that um, a man drove into a crowd of mm -hmm. people in Charlottesville and um, kind of the assumption no before there's even news about it is that it was a man. Right. Yeah. Like um, and so I don't think I would ever be and you, no one would ever look at me and accuse me of being like a domestic terrorist. Yeah. I'll never be accused of being an Islamic terrorist. I'll never yeah. be because I don't fit the profile of a terrorist. Did you ever get stopped at the airport? No. Yeah. And the only time I've ever been stopped in any kind of like check, I was going over the Canadian border when I was 19. <laughs> Canadians are so nice. How do I they know. stop you? Because I think because I was a college student because I went oh. into like the Customs and Border Patrol yep. situation. Like they have like a shack, right? Um, <laughs> and everyone in there, college students, non-white people, yeah. um, people traveling with animals, right? Wow. Okay. Because I think they were trying to find they're trying to find drugs or people coming in illegally. Yep. Um, college students, it's like drugs. Yeah. alcohol right yeah. um they took one look in the trunk of my You're car and they were fruit, like yeah some apples yeah they only looked yeah. in the trunk of my car which was full of stuff of just like garbage because <laughs> i was in college and it was like treated it like a garbage can and um they'd had their drug sniffing dog just like look at it and the dog was like i'm not even gonna touch that yeah and they just let me go it's like ron bananas get out of here yeah but i've never been stopped at the airport yeah i think about the people that i know that are predominantly stopped at the airport and it's usually males and males of color, mm -hmm. and especially if you have a beard. Yeah. But sometimes the the color piece might be out if the, if you have a beard and you look. Yeah. I don't know this this well, stereotype. And I've about. heard I recently heard a story about someone who was stopped airport security and had they it was a black woman, and she has an afro had her hair searched it's by TSA. Terrible. Yeah. So that would not happen to me. No. Right. Um. So that's a privilege that I don't I don't get stopped by security. I don't. Yeah. That's another one like being followed in stores. I've never fallen in stores. Because you're assumed fine. You're assumed good. You're mm -hmm. assumed the norm. I was thinking about that. Uh, what you're talking about reminds me of just the privilege of not having to walk around with a receipt. Yeah. So I, I never really thought about this growing up, but I would say probably in the last five or eight years, it's kind of hit me that like I can walk around in a store and um, not carry a receipt for the item that I had. I can just walk yeah. straight out of it. Um, and most POCs that I know don't feel comfortable doing no. that because it's assumed um, that they've stolen the item right. or that they've, they've had experiences being stopped before. And being accused of stealing. Yes. Right? right. And so they're afraid. And like that is not something that I've ever had to experience. I keep receipts because my dad was a libertarian and he <laughs> yeah. was like, he basically told me at all times, you need to have your identification on you. You need to yep. carry it. He was very like, almost like, I'd say bordering on paranoid about like, <laughs> about the government. Like, um, so... You just always prepared for anything that yeah. can happen to you, so that's why I did it. But yeah. that's a completely different reason yeah. to do it, right? Like, well, I growing don't know. up overseas, like we always had to have receipts coming out of the store. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's partly why it, I, it didn't dawn on me too much later as an yeah. adult. 
Um, and then I remember when I first came to the U.S. or like had that cognizant memory, and I'd I'd watch people like eat stuff in the store and then like haven't paid for it. Yeah, and I'm like, what, what is who does that? But as I think back to that, it was pretty much mostly white people, yeah. if not like ninety eight percent. Again, kind of that those underlines of privilege like, yeah. people are going to assume. It's like when you see white like like old white ladies at Costco, they want to try on a coat <laughs> before they buy it, so yeah. they put it on when they walk through frozen food, and it still has yeah. a tag hanging out the back, right? And they don't even think about They're it. They're getting a feel for the coat. They want to feel the coat yeah. on their body to make sure that it's the right code for them. Yeah. And it's funny because I think in part like, okay, those things are are fine. But the problem is that that's not the standard that's applied to everybody. Exactly. Right? So if we're going to say, great, put on your coat, walk around Costco, right. or like everyone should be able to dig into those, you know, fish yeah. crackers as yeah. they're shopping because right. you're a little bit hungry and you're going to pay for them later, then let's apply that to everybody. But that becomes the issue is it, 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 it's not. I don't know that it can't be, but it, it's not. That's yeah. not how we live society. True fact. So I also, I will never, ever be told to get over slavery. No matter oh, no matter how much I say that, like, slavery was, like, is, like, the scourge of American history and it's, like, still hurting us. Like, the legacy of slavery still hurts our society to this day. I will, no one will ever tell me, oh, get over slavery. No one will ever say that to me. Yeah. They won't say that. Not at all. No. I've heard um, some people say things like get over like women's issues. Yeah. Like some people are comfortable with that. And if if you're not re- if you're listening and you're not really sure like how this fits in, I mean I they're not the same, but I wonder about them being a, a similar feeling in the sense mm-hmm. that you can get some empathy, right? Yeah. But anytime you you tell someone to get over blank, like who are yeah. you to have the right to say get over that? Don't Everyone has a different way of dealing with yeah. something. Especially when you talk about systemic issues. Yeah. Also right. I get really frustrated when people tell me what to do. <laughs> As a teacher, I actually what? have a really serious problem with authority. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I it's ironic that yeah. we're teachers then yeah. since we don't yeah. like being told what to do I and yet be, tell people no, what to do all the time. Tell me what to do. Um, yeah. I also I will never be told that my culture is exotic and I will not have it appropriated mm. as like a commodity. Like, oh hey, let's package this like culture and sell it at the store as a yeah. costume. Like that won't happen. Yep. To me. Yeah. Um I'm gonna never learn. gonna be asked to speak for all white people as a homogenous group. No but one's ever going to be like, hey, do you want to... You s- represent all white the ladies, white perspective. I mean, All inter- interchangeable white ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all white ladies. So I'm... Every the, white yeah, lady Every everywhere. single white lady everywhere. In America and Europe yep. and all the places that yep. we hang out. All of them. So it's interesting because these things you're bringing up, I mean, are examples of these privileges. You didn't earn those things, right? You didn't no. earn... No. Like not having that harassment or having that harassment. It just is what happened. Yeah. It just uh, because I was born white. Yeah. Any other yeah. examples come to mind? Um, I can criticize the government without being considered an uppity outsider. Oh, t- tell me more. Um, the fact that um, if I criticize the government, people are like, oh, she's very well informed about politics. That's mm. quite attractive. You read um, a great article. Yeah, and I now I can speak about it. Uh, You're very if, articulate. Yeah, but I've seen this recently on the internet where especially black men have mm. shared their opinions about political issues and been attacked as bullies or as being like Aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah. And like, oh, you don't know about this issue because you're not involved. Like, you're outside the issue. Yeah. I'm never accused of being outside the issue. I'm always assumed to kind of know what I'm talking about and be praised for being informed, mm. I guess. Um, like you made that extra effort to go be informed. Yeah. And not question right away. I, I notice that a lot, especially on Twitter. And particularly, it's really painful, actually, to watch uh, mm-hmm. my partner and friends 
who are of color be attacked, right, after they say something that's yeah. way more informed than any other response that's been on there. Um, yeah. And then immediately it's like attack of intellect. It's attack of character, like, their character, yeah. right, assassinations. Um, the And then the N-word drops, like, real fast. You're like, where'd that come from? Yeah, I'm like, hello. And that yeah. to me, that's one of the the greatest examples of just a systemic attitude that we have um, towards people's intellect, towards people yeah. of color, and the way that we're just accepting—I I don't want to say accepting, but yeah, for lack of yeah. a better word, accepting it, right? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. interesting. So absolutely, thinking about this, we're, I mean, we're kind of bleeding into this idea of like racial privilege or white privilege. Right. Uh, other thoughts? What are you thinking about, or other examples? Well, the last—I mean, the last kind of one that always comes up for me, and this is like so interesting because it's they're counterexamples that are really pretty pretty cool i'll mention those in a second but um i can readily see myself represented in characters on tv so i am most shows are almost like exclusively white in like tv and movies so any shows that have non-white characters that aren't stereotypes are considered really groundbreaking Mm -hmm. and it's like 2017 yes that's weird right like what's the new movie with uh is a big stick with the new southeast mm -hmm. asian actor Oh, I don't know. Um, it just came See, out. I don't know. I yes. should know that. Yeah, you should know that. Because it should have been a trailer before some other movie that I saw that was about some, like, right? talking dog. Like, yeah. why didn't I see that movie trailer? It's interesting, and um, it's my fault I don't remember the actor's name right now. I see his face. But um, thinking about, like, this is the first movie where he's a Southeast, a Southeast Asian actor has really been prominent, and mm. he's the love interest, too. So it's oh. like a rom-com. Oh, right? yeah, the big sick. Sick, that's big, big sick. sick. That's what it is. I I, like you know why sick. I saw okay. the trailer sick. for yeah. that? Because I do this thing, like, probably once a month when I go on Apple trailers, and I, mm-hmm. I click on ones that look interesting, and I just watch them. Because yeah. it's, you know. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm pretty, I've heard good reviews about it and just some friends that I think. Yeah, no, I heard an interview on NPR with the actor and he was talking about, yeah, no, it's, it sounded really, really good. Yeah. Sounded really good. It looks really good. It reminds me too of even just privileges like um, going into the toy store and finding toys that uh, have characters on them that look like me. So when I'm shopping, I have a lot of nieces and nephews um, that are biracial and uh, multicultural, multilingual. And when I, the first time I started going to Toys R Us, I'm I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, these are cute white babies on these little things. But (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. Um, And it's something so subtle, but I I think at the same time, I'm like, I want my Mm. niece and my nephew to see a a child that looks like them on this toy playing with this toy, right? I mean, not to mention, we also get, like, the sexism around these toys, right? You know, the pink and the purple one. Great. Pink and purple is awesome. Target's done a pretty good job of, like, they took all the labels off of, like, the gender labels. Yeah. Yeah. So you can walk through Target, and it's not, like, boys' toys, girls' toys. So it's, like, actually, like, they're kind of blended together. But here's toys for all the kids. Here's toys for children. Yeah. Um, And not going to lie, I definitely reached towards, like, the one I found with you know a black child and I'm like okay this looks the closest I guess to my niche there's a really interesting niche market on like Etsy and stuff too for um, there are sellers who make doll hair that's that's like textured like afro hair so you can take a doll like a Barbie head and like yeah, this is so weird, but you can like take the hair out of the scalp. Yeah. Um, with tweezers, I haven't done this, but I've seen. I've seen it's a thing. <laughs> it's very and then white you of you, by the super way. Super white. Uh, that you know Very this. crafty white. <laughs> um, but you can actually put Afro hair on a Barbie, which is incredible because all of the no Barbies have textured hair. All Barbies have like straight silky blonde hair, usually, usually blonde, and yeah. So it's I don't know it's people are responding to it in interesting ways by yeah. like girls create toys and create accessories that like are actually reflective of what people look like. Yep, and I I'm glad you know I don't want to downplay that that it change is coming, but I 
feel frustrated that it seems so slow, right? Yeah. And um, we're finally getting dolls that are like the shapes of like real normal people. Yeah. Um, or a variety of people, right? Because even what's the norm in that sense? Um, yeah. And you're right, there's some of these these marketing um, companies that are trying to at least realizing that there's a whole group of people that they're leaving out. Yeah. And that's a privilege, right, to be able to go in and find yeah. and find those things. So what do you think about people that say like privileges really don't exist? Um, I've gotten a number of online arguments with uh, with folks around that, like, well, those are social constructs, like yeah. whatever. Well, There's nothing the I can do about it. The privilege doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm, I feel like just because you haven't experienced a lot of direct privilege in your life doesn't mean that privilege doesn't exist. Mm. It's kind of like saying, I don't know, like, what would be a good, like, parallel? Like, just because you can't see the wind doesn't mean it doesn't <laughs> blow over trees. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's like a, like, I don't know exactly how to describe it. Um, you benefit from, you, I mean, okay, here's another way to think about it. Do all, like, are all white people in the KKK? Well, no. 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 And this is not an, uh, I'm not, like, this is not an argument, yeah. like, not all white people, right? I'm yeah. saying, but literally, Hashtag not all white like, people. statistically, not all white people are in yes. the KKK. Yeah. Okay. Do all white people benefit in some way, even super small, from being white? Yeah, I think so. They do, yeah. right? Yeah. But can you be white and also have other oppressions, like, in your life? Yes. You can. So, yeah. like, if somebody doesn't recognize privilege because they have other things that are preventing them from experiencing that privilege, like poverty. Yeah. Or, like... Um, uh, food insecurity, mm -hmm. or I don't. What's another example of something that might keep you from experiencing privilege, like your job, employment, your employment or situation, your, income, yeah. your home, like whether your home is safe, right? Like all of those things um, may detract from that privilege. But being white, you're still perceived. Even if someone just saw you on the street, mm -hmm. you're still perceived as being more trustworthy mm -hmm. and more intelligent and more capable than other people. And it's crazy because this has been, I mean, this has been for us for centuries, right? Yeah. It's because we are in a system that has created that. Yeah. Perpetuated by ourselves, right? Yeah. Perpetuated by white people, um, which I think is partly what leads to our current situation around the fear of people losing that. Yeah. So I, I know as, as you were talking, I was thinking kind of two things. Um, just the idea that you can be privileged, as you mentioned, and at the same time be oppressed in another category. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's think, this crazy, yeah. like, overlap that happens there. And I think that's what makes it really hard to talk yeah. about these things. Yeah. So there's a great word for that. What is that word? Intersectionality. Um, so this would be a really great time to introduce a new segment mm -hmm. that we're going to do. It's called Pop Critical Theory. First, it's going to help to explain what critical theory is because this is new, right? This is a new segment for us. So think about it as, and this is going to get a little heady, but it's like philosophy that seeks to critique and change society. So it's like critical of society to get it to change. Okay. When things So suck. critiquing and critiquing, pointing out yeah. the things that need to be made better. Exactly. That's, I can yeah. wrap that my head around that. So today's pop critical theory is intersectionality. And if you think about like an intersection of a road, mm -hmm. right, it's where two maybe main thoroughfares run over each other. And in the middle of that is 
the blending overlapping of those two roadways. And usually a hot mess, especially when there's road work in Seattle or Tacoma. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is not like a roundabout because traffic <laughs> has to cross over, right? Like it's mm-hmm. over, it's overlap. Although I guess no, 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 no. Just think yeah, of intersection, intersectionality, it. not roundabout sectionality. There you go. Um, so it originally uh, started with this feminist sociologist. Her name's Kimberly Crenshaw, and it's going to sound really counterintuitive, but she was critical of second wave feminism because she said it focuses too much on gender. Interesting, but isn't really? feminism about gender? Yeah, yeah, females, feminists, gender, yeah, so gender equality. It is, and second wave feminism was a lot about white women's yeah. issues. So it was like getting white women out of like their suburban, you know, hellhole, and like mm-hmm. having to spend time with their children and getting them into the workplace and like empowered. And it was yeah. really focusing on white women's experiences. So I don't have to be at home barefoot with my babies. Yeah. I can be working. Yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and I'm of the opinion that you can do, you can be home with your babies, and that's just fine too because yeah. it's your choice as a human being. But that's my kind of feminism. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. part of it is equality to make the choice. You get to choose to get paid a fair wage to be at home with your children yeah. to sew if I feel like also, it, to not cook if I don't yeah, feel like it. Yeah, not be demonized for your choices. Yes. Thank you. Um, but also at this time in history, like during second wave feminism, um, that was not uh, – being in the home was not necessarily – the best place for a lot of women because it was um, they were denied the opportunity to work or they were denied the opportunity to advance themselves or to make choices. So right. really, second wave feminism was about where how do we get the choices to yeah. over our own destiny in the system, right? Because yeah. I think sometimes we think, oh well, someone just has to choose to do that. Well, no, there are systems in place that prevent you from being exactly. able to do that. Yeah, it's not just it doesn't just fall in your lap. Oh, I can go apply and work yeah. here. So um, Crenshaw was super worried about that. She was like, it's too much about gender, um, and there were. Uh, there were some some issues um, that she was focusing on, like, what about when, how do women of color navigate the world? How do they do mm-hmm. that different than white women? What about poor women of color? What about poor, disabled, queer women of color? Like, you add on all these layers, and it changes your experience, mm-hmm. right? So intersectionality is where the important stuff about your identities kind of overlap, like an intersection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the conversation started to shift at that point when she was doing her work from um, – the view that gender, race, and other aspects of your identity were, like, compartmentalized, like they were their own, like, separate mm-hmm. things, and that you couldn't deal with them separately. You had to kind of deal with them where they intersected. Yeah. So she started together. working on that. Yeah. Which so, is, yeah. That's the messy part, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to try to compartmentalize our lives and be like, yes. here's my identity as a white wo- a white person. Mm-hmm. Here's my identity as a, a woman. Yeah. But where does that overlap um, as a Christian woman, right? Throw yeah, that stuff in. right. And in those spaces, at our, as a heterosexual Christian woman, yeah. <laughs> right? Where do those spaces overlap and how is my experience going to be different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so she started some new conversations about race and gender identity and navigating all that stuff. Um, it's pretty abstract stuff, mm-hmm. but there's a great example um, that I found. Um, there's a couple layers to my example. So the first layer is women are much more likely than men to be victims of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that, um, but it's true. It's like 94% of victims yeah, are really women. High. Yeah, super high. But what about, by the way, what about-ism I feel like is being thrown around constantly when people mm-hmm. don't want to have these hard conversations yeah. and take time to listen to them. But what about the men that are human trafficked? Yeah, what about yes. the 6% of men? Who That's are, a different conversation. Yeah, it's a different conversation. And, yeah. like, that is also horrible. Human trafficking yes. is horrible. Yeah. There, at no point was somebody saying, like, human trafficking is not that bad. Because only 6% of men are human. But 94% of those people are female identified who are being trafficked. Yeah. I'm rolling my eyes really hard. You can't see it. Her eyes are rolling so hard right now. (laughs) You should have a sound effect for eye rolling because it was was incredible. Um, That's a good example. 
Yeah. So women of color in America are more likely to be victims of human trafficking than white women, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? Um, considering the like social, uh, like the privileging of whiteness in our mm-hmm. culture, um, about 80% of victims are people of color. Mm-hmm. 80% of total victims are people of color. That's crazy. 80%. Yeah, that's so much. That's like, that's so much. Disgusting. Like, yeah, so um, those statistics are from the Bureau of Justice. I did not make them up. Okay. They're real. Uh, they came not from, fake news. They came from the government. If you trust the government enough to believe that their Ooh, statistics I don't are know real. About that. Um, so, how does this like intersectionality connect to bigger conversations about privilege? Like, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, how are some experiences privileged more than others? How are your, some aspects of your personality privileged while others are not? Like, mm-hmm. it's, or your identity, I guess, privileged more than um, others? I, I don't know. Something I've been wrestling with, but. Um, Crenshaw basically was saying that discrimination or criminal behavior against women can be targeted or intensified based on your race. So if we think about that example of the human trafficking, the people who are more likely to be victims are are women of color. Yeah. Right. Um, So intersectionality has the power to compound your oppression. Right. Mm -hmm. It can compound your oppression, but it can also be a source of personal power because it gives you the ability to stratify different groups. So let's talk about this power dynamic. I mean, where do you see... Where do you see that power? Um, you use sex trafficking as an example, yeah. but also like power for good. You mentioned that empowerment. Yeah. Well, like, I think like when you stratify different groups, you have the the ability to like build bridges between different parts of your identity. So like if you were a queer woman of color, you may have um, the opportunity to build, um, you know, build alliances or community across like your ethnic group, um, language group across like um, – with other women of different races, like if you're queer, like across different queer communities, like there are opportunities to um, to work toward for good stuff, too, mm-hmm. um, that when you have multiple identities, you have access to different um, different communities. And I, I don't necessarily think that outweighs. It doesn't actually I know it doesn't outweigh the kind of oppressive nature of like yeah. being a subjugated group. But. Um, it creates opportunities for community that uh, you might not have otherwise, and that's really powerful. Yeah, I was thinking about, I mean, obviously, as we're teachers and we're coming into the school year, I was just thinking about what does that look like in the classroom, Mm -hmm. right? And what does that look like in our schools, Uh, this intersection of space? Because there's a lot of things that I can't identify with Mm -hmm. um, as a white female teacher, but then there are other things that I I feel like exist in that intersection Mm -hmm. where, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of picturing, so I'm picturing this person standing in an intersection being like, ah, and like (laughs) kind of waving traffic around, but also like, come on, let's talk. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's kind of my role. I sometimes think as a teacher to help facilitate that, particularly with teens, um, they're experiencing, I feel like they're really experiencing these things, but don't always have the language to talk about it. True. And then if you think about, we are compartmentalized. So I think about my some of my students from last year who, um, like I think in particular of a couple of straight boys in my class who really couldn't picture something different than that experience. Yeah. And so um, first it was like the girl, you know, facilitating conversations in the class, like setting up a space where women in the classroom could mm-hmm. talk about that experience yeah. and then women of color. And then um, I have a couple of queer students that like started bringing that in and yeah. just creating a space where those conversations can happen. Yeah. Um, and and each each of the students, you know, pushing each other, questioning yeah. each other and making it safe yeah. um, to talk about those things. and talk well, I think about that's like that a, the magic of public education hey. is that you teacher as facilitator that you can see where um, people's, you know, you have a kind of out, like a, a view of your 
students and what their needs are and so you can kind of address them and to the group to help them be more compassionate and be yeah. more understanding and more sympathetic and more yeah. aware and that is the magic of public education. Do you see this um, conversation around intersectionality like showing up in other, other spaces recently that you feel like you're jumping mm. in on these conversations? Yes. I have. I'm trying to think of a specific example that would be helpful. Um, I can't. I'm sorry. No, I'm that's just, fine. I just, just drew a blank and I don't no, know totally why fine. because I know I have examples. I'm just trying to think of what. Um. Oh, yeah. I mean, so there's been like some like some stuff online about like, I mean, there's been a uh, there's an article. I can't remember where this article is from, but like at the organizers of the Women's March and like oh, yeah. some of the yep. like um, controversy with different members of that group, like with their identities, like kind of pulling them in different directions away from that like mission. And they're being criticized like, oh, you're supposed to organize a Women's March, but you yeah. have these different beliefs and like, yep. you can't have different beliefs. And but then you think about it and you're like, of course they do. All of the, these women are like leaders in the community and like of course they're going to have a different they're going to have a diverse set of opinions and beliefs about mm -hmm. how society should be run or about how government should be run i don't know so that was an interesting like i'm uh, actually glad yeah. you brought up the women's march because i was thinking about um there was a lot of criticism depending on the city i think and yeah. the organizing bodies in the different cities and how they responded so women was like the overarching yeah um what a unifier i guess yeah I don't know. Uh, but then at the same time, like these different spaces, I went to the one at the march in Seattle and I'm from my perspective. So I'm going to just own my own viewpoint. I thought it was really powerful that most of the women that started the speech were all women of color yeah. and like representing different communities. So I remember um, in particular, I think there was a woman, Native American uh community and she I think gave a poem or like did a prayer it's a few months ago but I, I just remember thinking this is wonderful and amazing and I'm really yeah. glad that these groups are all showing up and and the fact that like there wasn't a dude that got up and was like hey at the women's yeah. march like there's a place for that kind of allyship like I had a friend who came along with us and it was really powerful like having mm -hmm. him join us and yeah I saw you know parents and fathers um people with their daughters uh, all there, but it was really like perpetuated and and led by women. I mean, Inslee was there, but he was like in the back, like, "Hey, what's yeah. up?" And I'm just hey, like, "Yes, I'm Jay so Inslee, glad." That's where you should be, right? I'm so glad you're thank here. You, thank but... you for supporting women and I... like not standing in the middle of a group and saying, "Hey, everybody, listen in to me and look at me." Yeah, because he is in a position of a lot of power. Like, right. Thanks for not doing that. Thanks yep. for not standing front and center. I know that was not the case in all the cities. It and, wasn't, um, yeah. and I, of course, there were things that Seattle could have probably done better and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it was just very interesting in terms mm. of thinking about that intersectional space. Totally. So let's tie this back with the privilege piece we were talking about earlier and also current events because there oh, are yeah, so uh, many things that so are happening right now. So many things have we happened. To, we need to talk about too. Um, we kind of talk – I mean we sort of – okay. I'm thinking about if – should we just jump right into current events because that yeah, – let's do it. I feel like it's so important that I can't even – anything else I was just thinking about went out the window when you yep. said current events. Okay, so – what do these things have to do, white privilege, intersectionality, all that? What does it have to do with the alt-right and white supremacy? Because since we last recorded the pod, um, some things have happened. And I think we should – can we do like rapid-fire news really quick just yeah, to like it. get caught up? Just okay. give us a breakdown. I think most of our listeners are probably – have read a Familiar few Familiar with yeah. – yeah, it's been very, break it down very visible online. So you probably know what we're talking about. Um, but just basically a group of white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, they went to a rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was called Unite the Right, and their whole mission was to protect – 
a statue of Robert E. Lee from getting torn down. If you don't know who Robert E. Lee was, he was a Southern general in the Civil War. Uh, and he's often characterized as fighting for his love of the state of Virginia, but he was a Southern, he was a Confederate general. Um, the Basically in the 1920s, there was a resurgence of the KKK. They sort of came back in a big way. It was like the teens and 20s around World War I. Um, and in the 1920s, they put a bunch of, a whole, I think the right word is spate of pro-Confederate statues. A spate? Okay. A spate. That means like a proliferation. A oh, lot. yeah. Of I'm pro, the English teacher here. Pro-Confederate statues. Vocab, I just really like that word. Um, and they put them in all these towns in the south. It's like Virginia and south, right? Like north of there, there wasn't as much. But yeah. um, And wasn't there – isn't there um, some research around how basically it was like factory-made statues, yes. right? They're all like really crappy yeah. material or yeah. most of them are crappy material, yeah. hollow. Yeah, really, really bad. Yeah, just so like when the, the Walmart um, of the time. I don't know if this would um, – it's a good time to say easy to tear down. Oh yeah, okay. um, I'm but, sure they didn't think of it in those days. They no, were they did not. They thought this is this cheap, is cheap. And efficient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're gonna get them up fast. Um, but basically, they, they straight up did not exist before then. So it was kind of like, in a way, if you think about it, it's kind of like revising history to mm-hmm. say like these are our heroes, but not until the 1920s. And that was some time after the Civil War ended. So that happened in the 20s. Um, That's a classic move, by the way. Side note: classic yeah. move of uh, totalitarian governments yeah. throughout history, right? Like, yeah. do a little rewriting. Yeah, put some statues up. Let's just take a few pictures. Let's scrub this history real quick and like insert yeah. some things that we want to include. It's pre Photoshop, but I feel like yes. it's right in that same. It's like it's like vein. 1920s Photoshop. Yes, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Keep going on the recap here. So basically, um, these protesters were they were protesting the tearing down of the statue because they wanted to bring the statue down because it's a symbol of oppression and horrible crap and um, the a time in America's history that was terrible. So, city was like, we're going to take it down. Um, so protesters and ca- clash with the counter protesters. There was like a ton of counter protesters who showed up and they were like, no, you are gross and you need to stop. Um, basically, it got really intense and so the city and the county uh, declared a state of emergency. Because of the the clashes with protesters and counter protesters, mm-hmm. um, basically counter protesters were saying, "Don't protect these like symbols of oppression." Protesters were saying, "It's our heritage." So, our heritage that started in nineteen the nineteen twenties. I don't really know, mm-hmm. um, but well, and there's the argument that like, oh, you need to recognize a statue because it teaches us our history. I'm like, actually, do you realize the plaques on most of these statues are like. Th- five words right yeah it's like the person's name the date and like whoever built it yeah and it never actually tells you like what the person did how the things yeah. went the implications on community that's what you learn in museums right, right? that's what you learn in podcasts that's what you yeah. learn in a textbook that's what you learn yeah. in a video yeah um, you don't learn that stuff from the no. statues right Sta- statues are made are were originally created like, yeah. to honor, right? To yeah. say, hey, look at this thing and then yeah, go look more stuff up. For. Yeah. yeah. So having them up is like, oh, we're we're honoring this horrible yeah. thing that happened. Right. It's exactly. Not, it's not like, hey, shout out to white supremacy and then like learn about yeah. it and like let's fix stuff and this is wrong. Yeah. It's, it's like appreciation for a person and what they did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's like a cake topper on a town. It is. That's like, a oh, good comparison. That's a nice cake topper. Um, yeah. It's a for celebratory. Throw no down way. on the ground and crush. Yeah. So... Basically, um, you know, talking about the legacy of the Civil War is another pod for another day. But, um, you know, and there and were, in case you forgot, Annie is a history teacher. I am. So that's true. She's um, teaching us this morning. <laughs> just a little little bit um, of history. But um, 
what what came out of this situation, I think the most horrific thing that people saw, and there was a video of it, which was just disgusting, was that mm-hmm. a counter-protester named Heather Heyer, I think yeah. Heyer is how you pronounce her name, was killed when a car driven by a white nationalist protester drove into a crowd. And 19 other people were injured, and it was really horrible. Um, once the initial shock of the horrific incident kind of wore off, I think we, I can't speak for you, but I'm sure you felt thinking about how dangerous that kind of privileged thinking is in the particular situation, right? Like white nationalists want a white nation. That's what white nationalism yeah. is. They want a white ethno state. Yep. In Europe, in the United States, it's not it's not a um which also by the way is like totally magical thinking. Like there never was a, mm-hmm. a white ethno state. There's something mm-hmm. to go back to, right? Yeah, this this is the fake narrative, right? Like this created yeah. world in some people's head that actually doesn't it's never not, existed. Uh, yeah. Uh, but again, if we manipulate history, we manipulate books, yeah. we manipulate photographs, it kind of creates this space of a false narrative. Yeah. I think the problem too is I feel like a lot of a lot of the media that was coming out and things were coming out is I feel like people were a bit nervous about using the word terrorists or yeah. like terrorism. They're apprehensive about using that as a term. Yeah. Yes, because um, and there's it's loaded, right? But, but tell I, you what, um, there on. were several other places, cities in Europe recently where terrorists drove their vehicles into crowds of people that is like a tactic right that's one of the number one tactics so call it what it is and don't be afraid of saying that because that's what it is yeah exactly label it call a terrorist a terrorist yep yeah um so the thing about white supremacy is that we would all like to be supreme Mm -hmm. duh like duh I want to be supreme. I want to be the most supreme. I want to be superior. Superior. I don't know about superior, but I want to be respected. I want to be like cool. I want to be cool. You know, like everybody wants that status of like coolness, right? Even if it's like you want to, I don't know if it's even supreme. This is so funny because whenever I think of the word supreme, I think of supreme croissants from Jack in the Box. So I think supreme, I think of like a, yeah, like a croissant breakfast sandwich. Um, but Maybe like, we're hungry. Yeah. Like, p- people want to say, like, yeah, I am the best at something, yeah. right? But when your supremacy comes at the expense of other people's basic rights or makes them second-class citizens, it's, like, bad news. So so that's – if I had a highlight right now, I would highlight that sentence that you just said. I, that's the issue, right? So you're like, oh, I – you know, under, I struggle with because people want to be understanding of situations, but people always want to be understanding – when something is pretty clear cut, right? And yeah. instead, it's the, it's that whataboutism, right? So it's like, oh well, maybe he came from a really struggling family. Yeah. Uh, maybe he didn't have good schooling. Maybe he had no black friends. Like whatever your yeah. excuse is that you're gonna throw in there. Like, how about this person engaged in an act of terror, yeah. committed terrorism, believed that other people needed to be crushed, yeah, um, believed that other people' life didn't matter, and yeah. they were gonna do whatever it took to make that happen. Yeah. That that's what it was, right? Yeah. It's, to me, it's really clear cut. But a lot of the stuff I'm seeing on social media um, is is trying to equivocate, right? Like, yeah. oh well, you know, the counter protesters they had some sticks too, yeah. um, in self defense, yeah. right? Um, the counter protesters did. Uh, you, wait, one group is saying I'm going to kill you, yeah. and the other, the other group, group is saying, like, "Please don't kill us." Right? Like that's not. <laughs> that's not How is I, I just have a hard uh, time with folks, and particularly I, yeah. I want to call out like white folks are the ones who I see using that a lot of the time, like looking for excuses. And I guess part of me is like, if you think, maybe think that in your head, but like, don't say that out loud, right? How about you just take a few minutes and go, this is horrible. These people are targeted. Like, you're yeah. not the group that's being targeted, right? Because yeah. you're white. Also, like, you're in that uh, like in have, group. Have some, if you can, for like a m- modicum of a microsecond, just have like a, a think about what it would be like to be in a crowd of people and have a car drive into horrible. it. Horrible. Like, don't, you know, just like yeah. be empathetic. Like, don't suck. 
Like, why yeah. are you being basic? Like, don't. Like, just think about how horrible that would be. Terrifying. It'd be so scary. Like, and why? Why? A couple of the images I saw and um, a couple of things that stood out to me in terms of, like, hope is I am so glad there were so many counter-protesters. Yeah. Um, I was really, like, struck. I read a number of blogs of people that, you know, were there at the time um, from clergy that were yeah. from a bunch of different faiths that came out that were supporting, that were standing in um, nonviolent resistance. Yeah. I was really struck by... Um, the unity of, I don't know, unity is the right word, but the unity of the counter-protesters in the sense that some were like, mm -hmm. any means necessary, and if that's defending myself with quote-unquote violence, fight back, whatever, yeah. then fine. And then there were other folks that were like, no, nah, we're going to link arms and, and walk along here and pray. Yeah. And like those still work together because that's still, to me, that's still the same side. Yeah, they were on the same team. Like There's two the sides, side. right? Yeah. Like Nazi side. There's not, not Nazi side. Oh, you mean there weren't many sides? There's not many sides I heard here. someone mentioned that there were many sides. All the sides? Both sides. What? What? I think there were two. Pretty sure there were two yeah. sides. Two, just two. I'm also, can I tell you I'm kind of mad at Tina Fey? Go for know? it. Because of the sheet caking thing. Did you see that on Saturday no. Night Live? go for it. She basically on Weekend Update, I love Tina Fey. Okay, I really do. Um, but on on uh, Saturday Night Live, she basically said the way that we deal with like what's going on um, with like racial violence in America is like just ignore it and eat cake. And I don't know if it was like, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out if it was sarcastic. Like, I don't know if she had a follow up, but yeah. she was basically like, I'm just going to eat this entire cake and forget about everything and all my problems. And I'm like, white lady, you can't sit back and eat cake and do nothing. Well, this is part of like, just goes right back to privilege and white privilege. Right? Yes, How many people are like, yeah, exactly. I want to take an internet sabbatical. I just really, I think people are like too upset right now. And I just need a break. I need a diet from social media. I need a diet from social I media. I need social media diet. I just need more cat photos and more cat videos. And some videos about contouring my cheekbones. Yes. I don't need to yeah. see things that are violent or scary because they make me upset. Bye. Yeah. yeah and no, then they're out. You know, those things happen. So right. sometimes, you know, don't expose them to yourself constantly. Have some self like sense of self-care. Sure. But, like, yep. but like, don't bury your head in a sheet cake and pretend they don't exist. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, again, that's your privilege to be able to do that and pretend because your life is not yeah. at risk all the time. I but, just pictured an ostrich. You know how ostriches bury their heads in the sand when yeah. they're scared? Like, except sheet cake. Except just a cake. Like a, a white lady just sticking her head ponytail in sticking cake. out of the top of the cake. Just coming straight out. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay. Speaking of women and cake, um, I was really struck by, like, how intrepid journalists were going into Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. They were, like, just on the trail of everything that was happening. And um, shout out to Vice for, like, yeah. making a really uh, incredible short documentary about it. You should go check it out if you haven't seen it. But basically, the thing that stuck out to me, and it was – they were hard to find. It was kind of like, where's Waldo? But yeah. there were women – in the Unite the Right march, holding tiki torches, like it was like the night before the actual like clash with protesters. Yeah, and I saw like two women, I think. Two women. In the clip that I saw. With their heads down yeah. in the crowd, probably because yeah. they didn't want to get photographed and doxxed all over the internet. But like there were women there. So I guess kind of what I'm wondering is why does the intersection of femininity and whiteness matter in that space? Like when we're talking about white supremacy or nationalism. So I... Well, I think in part yeah. is because um, we think about this as generally male-dominated, and mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing, right, in yeah. public, and that's the voices that are given elevation. Um, and in particular, there's, like, certain types, right? I, I feel like there's, like, a, a little bit of a class divide, actually, even what I've seen around white nationalists and KKK, right? You've got, like, the Richard Spencer, like, mm -hmm. mm, I'm trying to look like a model with my gray hair and my <laughs> my expensive, like, shirt, and then you've got, like— 
the dude, there's a dude, and I'm just going to laugh about it because he's the guy that was, like, on a bunch of videos that was, like, crying when he got pepper sprayed or maced. Oh, he was yeah. like, oh, I'm so sad. I just wanted to be out there expressing my free speech, and yeah. then they maced me. And then, like, you see another clip of yeah. him, and he's like, kill them all. I will do anything. Blood and I'm and like, soil. Yeah, come Why on, Why are you like, crying right now? Yeah, also, if you had gone to enough, like, lefty protests when you were in college, you would know you pour milk on that. Yeah. Not water, yeah. you dummy. What he... <laughs> there was another video where he's pouring something or someone's pouring something. It was probably milk because somebody probably figured out, like, finally yeah. figured out, like, oh, maybe those um, radical protesters like WTO protesters had something. Like, um, they were <laughs> right they onto something when they poured milk in their eyeballs My because gosh. that's the only thing that will neutralize yeah. the, like, pepper spray. Yeah. Little, little science lesson there. Well, so the thing that's interesting to me is that you've got this narrative of men, but yet we know that, like, you know, women rule the world, right? Uh, well, and so <laughs> with that, I don't know, we started going on this binge, like this deep dive into women of the alt-right. And I know we don't have oh, a lot of time to talk about it we today. Don't, but we, we can briefly talk about, like, some of the journalism around that was crazy. I yes. had, um, I, there was one article in particular that if you want to go down a rabbit hole, um, I don't remember the author's first name. Last name's Darby. It was a Harper's article. Yeah, it just came out. It just came out. Um, and I, I think, it's, isn't it called The Ride of the Valkyries? Yep. Okay. The Rise of the Valkyries. The Rise of the Valkyries. Because The Ride of the Valkyries is a song. I think so. Yeah. And it's, yes, it is. Okay, and it's I'm very really bad epic. at remembering songs. It's very epic and important. Hence the title. Well, an NPR, I know, did a piece called The Women Behind the Alt-Right, which references yes. the Harper's article. Yes, it did. Um, there's also another great piece of reading. We'll link to all of these things. There's a lot of in... cross-pollination in, like, the articles. Like, yep. the NPR article was responding. There were, the other, there were response yep. articles to Darby's article because it was, like, eight or nine pages. Yes. Yeah. Lipsing Fascism is another uh, great piece, oh, and we'll yeah. link to all that in the show notes. We will. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for you guys. But basically the hot take and ladies, is— guys, ladies, people, humans. There's a whole bunch of women that are part of the alt-right, that yeah. are the wives and the mothers on the side. And there's this tension in the movement um, with women. So you got these yeah. highly educated women, right? College-educated, yeah. college PhDs yeah. and whatnot. Um, and many of them, in their personal stories, I was reading through the, the Harper's piece, many of them had, you know, were considered themselves feminists at one point. And yeah. then now they think that's a dirty word. They've shifted. And now they're like... Yeah, our main job is to be beautiful and have white babies. Like, I'm glad you brought up the fact that they're beautiful because that's a big part of their mission is, like, to preserve their physical beauty. Because um, one of the quotes I heard was from a, a male um, white nationalist about how white women, their job is to be a womb for white babies because of they want a white even. they want a white ethnostate. And it's not sarcastic. It's not. No, that's it's not thing. It's supposed to be funny. I no. funny in quotes. It is not. It's very serious. It's like we want white wombs for white babies for yeah. our white ethnostate. And so women are like, we need to beautify our bodies to be like to super attractive to white dudes so we can perpetuate our race. And like the thing is, um, there's so many contradictories in that. There's so many One, problems. the dudes aren't that good looking, by the way. Side oh, note, yeah. right? Um, I'm not trying to be too superficial here, but yes. yikes. One, come on now. Uh, they're not doing any of that, like, taking care. Two, there's this contradiction of what their beliefs. So they're like, make white babies, be beautiful, but you're an idiot. And so there's been, a, even within that, there's, like, this uh, conflict of saying these women that are speaking for the alt-right and showing the other side yeah. and that they support and their leaders, men. Being leaders in the movement. Right. Having YouTube channels, all kinds of stuff. Being I, rejected by the movement because they're women and they yes. shouldn't be in positions of power. How uh, do they reconcile this? This I don't makes my know. brain hurt. My brain hurts so much. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. 
So it's kind of hard for me, and I think hard for me too because I don't understand. Like, I think it's just like wanting a sense of a feeling of belonging, right? Um, yep. The fear of being left out, right? And it talks about that in the NPR article, yep. right? That like of um, wanting to feel have a sense of being, being included in something that's really mm-hmm. important and bigger than yourself. But like, you can get that other places, homegirls. So you, you can like get a that, sorority. I heard you say uh, something it's about a like sorority. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. it's kind of like um, like a horrible sorority that's like. Uh, white nationalist yeah. sorority. The That's, white nationalist soror- sorority. Yeah. Like, there are other things. Because they talk about sisterhood yeah. and like, let's raise, help you raise each other's babies. And I'm like, it sounds like a cult. It basically is. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to continue this. I, go look in the show notes, read some Please of the articles. Do. Yeah. Uh, send us some messages on Twitter. Because this is like a can of worms about like yep. this stuff. And we don't even, we haven't totally wrapped our heads completely around it. Yep. Like, and try to wrap your heads around it. And we, we'll, we'll talk about it next time. Um, you know, because it's it's important. So yep. go read about it. Go read that Darby, Darby article. It's really good. So as we wrap up today, um, there are, in addition to, like, real life serious things that have been happening, there are a couple of, like, more trite things that have happened that I do want to do a quick shout out. Particularly, um, Annie got a really important email. Oh. Just real real fast. So fast. Okay. Tell, I your, tell us about your email. Emailed, I sent an email to Washington State Supreme Court Justice Mary Yu. I sent it to her em- her work email. I sent the email on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. I asked her if she would come visit our school and talk to our students about her job. And she emailed me back. She emailed me back within 24 hours. And I, I don't know. I sent Hope a picture of um, a skeleton that said, oh, my God, literally dead, because that's how happy I was. So if you I, recall, I, I Mary cried. You I, I cried a little bit. I don't really remember. I, I may have blacked out because I was so happy. Awesome leaders it was so great woman crushes she's yeah. so great i love her so much and she's really really smart and she's gonna come visit our school and yes. talk to our students about what a powerful badass woman she is and i'm so 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 happy awesome oh well we can't forget um we also want to talk really quickly about timeless or terrible so oh, we so can't forget this gonna make it I a mean, fast one pretty important yeah i don't want to interchangeable white ladies yeah it's gotta be we gotta acknowledge rapid a fire timeless or terrible. that are pretty um terrible what'd you pull what'd you pull um, she so pulled, what i she pulled, pulled out of jar yeah uh is this so is it timeless or is it terrible again these are things that our particular white women love to talk about it's true um timeless or terrible obsession with generations so for example but i'm not like other millennials because you know like stuff uh, what do you think? Timeless or terrible? I can't say it's timeless because I don't think that has happened in other generations. I think I, I don't know if terrible is the right word, but like I think that millennials get a really hard they get a really bad the raw end of the deal. They get treated really bad. Have you seen all the articles that are like millennials are ruining yeah. everything? They, they, they stop with their avocado toast and yeah. their nine thousand dollar bachelor parties. Yeah, I went to Red Elm. And I bought avocado toast. They have avocado toast there, yeah, and it's delicious. It's I spent all my money on Shout avocado toast. Shout out to Red Elm, and you should go yeah. to that cafe. Yeah, on you Hilltop. should. It's on Hilltop. I think, um, but I really think kind of terrible because we, people shouldn't have to defend, like, that's like speaking for your whole group. You shouldn't have to speak for your whole group. Terrible, you're saying obsession with generations, not Red Elm Cafe, just no, to clarify. No, Red Elm Cafe yes, is perfect okay. and wonderful. Okay. Um, the No, the obsession with generations and the, the continuous talk about it is terrible. It needs to stop because every generation is flawed, and you can't talk about um, an entire group like that. Mm. It's overgeneralization. Good. Timeless or terrible? Oh, this could get awkward. Boot cuffs. That was our sponsor So today. someone told me about boot cuffs, and I really don't understand them. I know that they're cuffs. Oh, this wasn't our sponsor today. No. The, oh. Yeah. I'm worried, though, because we may have... Boot cuffs are sponsoring one of our future shows. I hope. think so. Uh, I think, Let's be careful what we say. Can you describe a boot cuff? Because I don't really understand boot cuffs. They um, go in your boots, and they're a cuff. 
Yeah. Okay. That. So it's like a tube that goes on your leg at the top of your boot. So you don't have to wear a full bulky sock, but it can look like you're wearing a full bulky sock. Sometimes they have a lace around the top, but it's like a tube for your leg. But I'm going to go terrible. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to cut you off and say, yeah. that's terrible. Just wear a real sock. You know what it reminds me of? It's also terrible dickies that you wear under your shirt. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, no, I don't. Let's be done with it. Although Dickies, I mean, no boot cuffs. Dickies is another conversation for another I also day. don't really like wearing boots, but that's another yeah. conversation for another Hot day. Hot feet. All right, last bit of homework. So yes. we need to end with our homework. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. Right, ladies. So homework today is read uh, Tim Snyder's On Tyranny. It is 20 key points about tyranny. It takes you like an hour, an hour and a half to read. I read it really fastly on the first half of Flight. It's a small little booklet. It's a tiny little booklet, and it's amazing because it's just like, here are some signs of tyranny, and you read it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And then he breaks it down in like a page follow-up and how to fight some of that tyranny. So when yeah. we think about the things we've talked about today with privilege and just concern around white nationalists and the rise of the alt-right in our country, uh, these are some of the ways that you can fight it. So go read Tim Snyder on tyranny. That's fantastic. Um, I need for you to go Google pictures of the Panopticon. Panopticon. It's spelled how it sounds. So you can get an idea of what it looks like, like what it actually is set up like. It's a prison. You can also um, search for Jeremy Bentham if that helps you get to it. It will help you a lot for our next show. Uh, Go read up on the ideas of the invisible or imaginary audience and take notes on that, please, and prepare to discuss. And as per usual, if you don't do your homework, I'm going to make you call your mom. All right. See you later. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Subscribe to the other podcasts, Nerd Farmer, Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, and Flounder's B-Team. Bye. Class dismissed. This is Channel 253.